Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. My wife's on her phone. And I'm Sydney, Sydney why are you McElroy. on your phone? I'm Sydney McElroy. That's Dr. Right Sydney McElroy, phone enthusiast. No, it's, uh, so our parents, my parents are watching our children while we're recording, and mom just offered to get Charlie started on her Valentine's box that is due for tomorrow. Oh. Oh, dunk. Yeah. Also, oh, that's due tomorrow. You know what else we didn't do? Get Valentine's give for everybody? Them, give them lunch. We didn't give them lunch. My parents will take care of that. Yeah. They okay. know where all the food is. So we need to get Valentine's. <laughs> hey, everybody. How's it going? This is a podcast things that you're been, listening things to. Things have been rough. It's a whole thing. It's Cooper's birthday. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. It's it's podcast recording day right now. It's a whole my, thing. My my wonderful little sister Riley, unfortunately, had COVID, and so we were various members of our family were in quarantine. Everyone's fine. Everyone's better. We we can be reunited, but we've just been working it's it out. Been, Everybody's had to do this, right? Yeah. The last two years, everybody's trying to work it out. Get, we're just get through working it out and getting through. But that's not germane to you. Anyway, you didn't come here for a sob story. No. If you're worried about Charlie's uh, Valentine's box for her Valentine's Day party at school tomorrow, don't worry. My mom is working on it. So if you all were at home, <laughs> we're worried about that. Uh, we're going to do one of my favorite kinds of episodes that we do, and I, they're they're always fun. It's always delightful. It's where we take your questions and try to answer them. And I'm using. The royal. I was going to say we. The do? transient we. We do. <laughs> Sydney will. Well, I'll it's really nice. If you may notice, we didn't specifically ask for more questions this time because something I love about all you listeners, and I mean, there's so many things. This is just one of the many things, yeah. not the only, is that you will uh, send us unprompted weird medical questions and title it that in the subject line of the email, which Thank is you. key. Yeah, I so appreciate that, and I want to encourage you. If you come up with a weird medical question, just do that. Don't wait for the if call. You put just put that, it in there. If you put that in the subject line, I guarantee you at some point I'm going to go, oh, we should do one of those again. And I can just search our inbox yep. for those and find them all. And there were so many to pull from. And Unpro- guys, it was just wonderful. And it's Thank easier you. than going to your doctor. No, Sydney is no, 24 hours no, a day no. ready to answer your questions about any topic. No, this does not replace uh, going to your doctor with actual real medical questions. This is more just sort of that stuff that you're kind of like, huh. I wonder, well, and, and it's not really it. urgent, it's not pressing, it's not something that's going to immediately impact your care. It's just more like, huh, if I had a doctor sitting here, I, I might ask him this question. Uh, okay, let's get into it. Is okay. it true that gauges, like earlobe stretching mm-hmm. ga- ga- gauge? 
gauge? Yeah. That's a tough gauge. word. Gauge. Gauge. Can cause cancer in the earlobe, or is my dad lying to me again? That's from Fleur. Can I try this one? Yeah. Dad, your dad's lying. I hate to, I hate that that's the your answer. dad's lying to you. I'm... Now, we could be more forgiving dad's and say hey, maybe dad's <laughs> Maybe your dad doesn't know that. Maybe your dad genuinely thinks it. But that is not. I, your dad is a fabulist who's living an alternate <laughs> reality in which. I found that I is found true no. I, I, I sat there thinking, well, no. And then I thought, is there something I don't know? And so I, I searched into that. There is no, no connection that I could find. Um, now, I will say there are there can be health risks associated with you know, earlobe stretching. Life. If, if, and I don't mean just generally, I mean, if you do it improperly. Sure. So you do have to like anything like that, any kind of body modification, you have to approach thoughtfully and make sure you're using sterile technique and not introducing infection. That's the main thing is that if you use things that aren't sterile, uh, depending on the materials, you can introduce infection there. Um, yeah. and the other thing is like at a certain point it won't go back. Like if you've stretched them long enough, yeah, wide enough, then, which is if that if you're cool with that, no problem. But just things to know, yeah. be informed before you make the decision. But no, on that list is not uh, cancer of the earlobe, as far as I could tell. Why does your this is a good one? Why does your body make you nauseous after a certain period of being hungry? I often get nauseous after being hungry, which makes me not want to eat. Bad system. It's from Emily. This true, it, and it is definitely a real thing that happens, and to all of us. Um, it's not just you that this is very true. And it is a weird thing that, you know, why does our body work that way? It's mainly due to the buildup of stomach acid, hydrochloric acid, the acid you need in there to help you digest your food. Um, it's not just supposed to sit in there like lazy, not doing anything. <laughs> it's supposed to be busy. Not and melting so, tacos. Exactly. So if you don't put any tacos in there for it to melt – then it will start to build up, and that can cause the nausea, especially if it begins to, like, reflux, meaning go back up into your esophagus. Mm -hmm. That can definitely lead to nausea. Um, and there are some other hormones involved, but that's the primary reason why you feel that nausea. Generally, and it does sound like a really bad system. Like, why would it I, yes. I mean, your stomach only has so many levers it can pull, right? Like, if the stomach's trying to communicate it to you, it's not like it can, like, you know what I mean? It can't do a loud klaxon to alert you to hunger. It's <laughs> hunger, like, I'm, hunger, I'm a, hunger. Exactly. I'm a stomach. These are the things I can do. I can grumble at you or I can mm -hmm. hurt. And I mean, your brain releases chemicals. Like there are hormones specifically to say you're hungry, you're hungry, you're hungry. And then other ones that are like, you're full, you're full, you're full. And if you like give your body time and you listen to those signals, sometimes, not always, because there are reasons those might be off, then you can hear those signals or feel them, so to speak. But um, I will say... When I get that nausea that I know is because I haven't eaten, for me, there is also a part of my brain that goes, you should go eat something, mm. which is weird. I, and I don't know if this is everyone's experience. It feels different than the nausea of, oh, I ate I something bad, you know, yeah. or I have a stomach bug. Like, yeah. it, it's a different nausea. But, yeah, that, that, is, that is how that happens. That's probably just a lifetime of awareness, though. Just listening to your body and knowing, like, oh, I know what this nausea means. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, and I don't know if everybody thinks about that stuff as much. Like, I, I ponder all of it constantly because, well, mainly so I never have to go to the doctor. Right. You don't want to, you, you know, you got to avoid doctors at all costs. Hey, y'all remember. I'm joking. That's you a joke. We did that I am a doctor. About doctors being sick. <laughs> did, you want to know something fun? After we recorded that episode, Sydney, uh, what, uh, Sydney 
found out from her physician that she has been recording that episode with an undiagnosed sinus infection. I had gotten, I had the same viral illness we all had, whatever it was, and then I had uh, gotten somewhat better and then got worse again, which is classic for a secondary bacterial infection of my sinuses, which I kind of suspected but was just ignoring in hopes it would go away on its own. This is terrible. Don't do this. Don't it do just, this. The, 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 the irony can be seen from space. I know. She was doing this while she was recording an episode about how bad patients die. I know. I kept thinking <laughs> as long as the pain is tolerable, it's probably fine. That's not a good That's a bad system. Ask me the next question. It's also from Emily. Okay. Uh, Emily also asks, how do fingers not get cut off when being slammed indoors? I what? think, uh, well, what I think is interesting is that, I mean, they can. Sure. With the right door. <laughs> with the right door and the right closer. <laughs> the right door, the right strength, depending on the materials and whatnot. It, yeah. it can. Now, generally, that isn't the, your, what happens, right? Like with your bedroom door, with a car door or something. Um, and it's really just because, like, okay, I don't want to get too graphic. <laughs> it's but too late. I'm in already my, like, so in my medical this training. This me out. Like, this kind of. Like, yeah, it's scary about, to think about. Uh, in my medical training, um, I we all rotate through all the specialties, and in my surgical training, I have witnessed and participated in amputations. And I will tell you, it is not easy to get through the many layers, even in like something like a finger, and then finally to the bone. I mean, they're built to last. Our <laughs> they're not made to snap off easily. Our, is the is the short answer? Our ancestor, our distant ancestors, got their fingers sheared off by doors enough times. <laughs> That we evolved the ability, like those are the only ones that made it, right? Were the ones that, because like then you can't pick up anything yeah. from the ground. You can't pick up roots mm-hmm. and leaves and berries. And so you go, but the ones with strong, powerful fingers that could get slammed indoors, they continue on. Bones that are lineage, tough. Bo- now they are. Yeah. Because we evolved it. See, it's survival of the fittest. I mean, there's other stuff that can happen. Like, you can get a crush injury that's pretty bad even if you don't, like, snap the fingers off. You but can, um, You can stove it. Is that a real thing or is that an Appalachian thing? No. I, I, do people call it something different? Stoving your finger? Yeah, I, mean, I don't stove, know. Stove your finger? Please let us know if you have different... It's when you... um, It's like it's like stubbing your toe except to your finger. Yeah, you stove your finger. You stove your finger. Does everybody call it that? Uh, I wouldn't I need use a quick it, Google. <laughs> I use it so much colloquially, like even in the medical field. Like, I, I mean, because when a patient says that to me, I know what it means. And if I ask them, like, is that what happened? They they know what I mean. But it's the, it's the same thing as stubbing your toe, but with a finger. When you kind of slam it, like, right on the tip on something. Oh, uh, I think this is, re- I'm, I'm, fi- I'm feeling like this is regional. Uh-oh. All right. Well, let us know. Let um, us know what you call it. Yeah. I'm curious. Um. So usually after I eat a big meal, anything larger than a snack really, I get a cough for about 30 minutes to an hour. I've had that for as long as I can remember, and it's only a mild annoyance, so I never bothered asking a doctor about it. Is this something that medicine has a definition for, and why? Uh, what might be causing it? And that's from Oscar. So I think that um, – Sydney's not going to tell you what might be causing it. I'm just, well, there are lots of things that could yeah, be causing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Is, is going to be – I am going to tell you some of the examples. I am going to say that if this happens um, this frequently, I would, you know, ask your primary care provider about it. Um, because it – not because I'm – I don't want to scare you. No, <laughs> I, it's more just there may be something that could be done about it, especially if it annoys you or bothers you. You know, why not get it checked out? And then maybe there's something that – can stop it. Um, there's some really common causes for getting a cough after a meal like that. Um, you know, there's always the worry, are you choking? 
you know, because somebody who coughs while they're trying to eat, we use that as an indicator in the hospital that, uh uh-oh, maybe they're aspirating. Maybe stuff's going down the wrong pipe, so to speak. Um, But what you're describing sounds more like, uh, could be acid reflux, you know? Um, The acid, and like the acid can go up into the esophagus. It can go all the way up to like the back of the throat and affect your voice box, and that can trigger a cough reflex. Um, Anything, and that's kind of a silent acid reflux, if you've ever heard of that. Anyway, any of this could, that would be a very reasonable explanation for this. And a lot of those things are treatable too. So it may be worth getting checked out just to see if, you know, is it something like that that there's a treatment for? That'd be good. Um, You can also get a cough from things like asthma or allergies that you maybe don't have diagnosed. Maybe you thought was more mild than it really is, that kind of thing. Um, Could be, do you smoke after meals? Well, yes. That That could be causing it too. That's true. And I mean, do you have a cold? Hmm, interesting. It sounds like <laughs> after we're every meal. Kind of, we're both kind of doctors in a way on this one. But I, I think anything like that, if it's annoying you, it's always worth asking about because it may be, even if it's not something that you're concerned is serious, it may be something that's very easy to get rid of. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I can't diagnose somebody over a podcast. Yet. No, is, you shouldn't do that. Uh, this next one is, I'm going to paraphrase because the question is pretty long, but the, the gist is, is it really possible for someone to hallucinate Via the placebo effect alone, uh, dumbstruck drink maker in Dallas is referring to the phenomenon of the fact that people thought that absinthe uh, caused hallucinations, but it it doesn't. And reported them. Yes, right. And said that they had. I This wasn't just a, you know, a fable. Like people said they were getting hallucinations um, and uh, that this has been debunked. There's no, still some people who think it. But uh, I think what this person is wondering is, is it, could it really just be like, uh, what do we call it, a mass psychogenic event, mm-hmm. the, the, these kinds of hallucinations? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is an interesting question because this is a myth that for a long time was why absinthe was illegal in yeah. this country. Like I remember those days when ab- you couldn't get absinthe here because I remember when it started showing up in liquor stores and people were like, oh my God. I know, like you can totally get it. You can get absinthe now. And everybody's really excited and then found out, in my personal opinion, just me, it doesn't taste very good. That wow. is just me. Hard. I don't really enjoy it. Kind I, of like a Nyquilly. <laughs> you never had it. It's also, I mean, Nyquilly. it's really cool, like, it, it. you drip it over a sugar cube traditionally. And I mean, mm. it's a cool, like, kind of process and everything. But no, for a long time, people thought it could make you hallucinate um, because of this ingredient in it called thujone, which is in the wormwood that's present in absinthe. And they thought that this was this, like, hallucinogenic compound. And then the green fairy, that, the you know, bit. you've heard yeah, of we, We've all seen Mulan anyway, So, but, the, but they've done studies on it, and you don't hallucinate on absinthe. So why did people think they did? That's, a, that's actually a huge question people still ask. Probably there are a couple reasons. One, I, Dr. Justin, can I do? Can I try one? Yeah. Before you tell me the real answers, because mm-hmm. they were drunk. Well, so absent. I mean, they're drunk. It has think that it causes hallucinations that you're drunk. So you think. I don't know. You're, just, you're drunk. Absinthe has a lot of alcohol. <laughs> it's a high, high alcohol content uh, drink, and so part of it is just if you're pounding a lot of absinthe, you're you're going to get very drunk. So it could just be that simple. Um, the other proposed idea is that a lot of the people who talked about experiencing these hallucinations on absinthe were also sometimes like using opium, also. 
Okay. So, like, was it some sort of combination of, like, drugs and alcohol that led to these hallucinations? Um, there was, like, one one really, like, high-profile report of a guy who, after drinking absinthe, um, had some sort of hallucination psychosis and killed people. Mm. Uh, but what was not in the story, it, what is true but was not, like, in the headline, is that he had also drank, like, everything else in the liquor cabinet basically Lots you know what i mean things. yeah so i i think that it, it sort of got this kind of mythological connotation like oh i can do these amazing things to you and it's really just a very hard liquor um that i don't personally prefer but if you do that's okay just drink please responsibly mm. in moderation hello dr sydney and justin next time i answer weird medical questions i was hoping sydney could talk about my chart etiquette a family member's doctor suggested we all go see a cardiologist because of our family medical history. And I wanted to ask my primary care doctor what she thought. Should I make an appointment or just send a message on my chart? I don't know what that is. Is there a question too big or small for these messages? Well, I don't know if I send one. I feel like doctors shouldn't always be on call with their patients, but I always also don't want to waste both of our time with an appointment. That's from Rebecca. What is my chart? So my chart is similar to – a lot of electronic medical records will have something like my chart, which is basically a way to communicate directly to your doctor through like secure email, so to speak, or text message, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. You can send a message. It will, in our system, it will pop up in our inbox when we open up our, you know, our charts. And along with like messages from other staff in the clinic or notes that we need to still write or whatever, there will also be like messages from patients directly. And I will tell you, I do think that this is a useful feature. And I think it's great that you're thinking about how best to use it because the pro the only problem with my chart is a lot of people will be tempted to use it to get their doctor to diagnose them. And just like I said, I would never diagnose you over a podcast. It's almost impossible to tell somebody what's going on from a text message or an email, right, right. you know? Yeah. And a lot of the time, what that question really needs is a visit mm. or at least a phone call, right? Um, but it's not something that you're going to be able to easily answer in a back and forth unseen. Right. Um, you need an active conversation. Maybe you need an examination, you know? Yeah. And so those are the times where, like, my chart really is not – those sorts of features aren't particularly helpful. Okay. Um, they're, I don't think they're particularly helpful for – I know ours allows, like, pictures. And sometimes that can play a role in, like, the back and forth. But just sending, like, what's this rash? There's a blurry picture yeah. of my elbow. What do you make of it? The, those you, I mean, it's so hard to say without being there in person and knowing, like, the texture and then getting a story, like, how long would you do? You know, I mean, it's just it, – it, it is not the way to get the best care possible. Gotcha. Now, a question like this would actually be pretty appropriate because, you know, most of the time I could easily say, well, you know, I, in this case, you need a referral, from your doctor to go see a cardiologist. Now, maybe mm -hmm. in your system you don't, but like in our system you would. And in order to put in a referral, I have to have a reason. So I got to see and talk to you about it. So we need to, let's let's schedule something or let's have a phone call, you know, telemedicine now making these things so much easier. And let's talk about what your concerns are mm -hmm. so I can make sure that when I put in that referral and send that to the cardiologist, I can send them the best information. Um, because, you know, I know my specialist friends, there's nothing worse than getting a referral with no information. Because when you walk in the room, you kind of want to know like yeah. why this patient has been sent there and, you know, what sorts of things have been done, what's the story. If you just get a referral with no info. So what is my chart good for? Um, 
I think that it's good for for a some kind of procedural questions like this. If you if you're not sure about like screening, am I due for this? Do I need this vaccine? Uh, when's my next pap smear? All those different sorts of things. These are great questions for my chart. If there's a result that you should have gotten, mm-hmm. hey, I got a lab and I never heard back, you know, that kind of thing. Hey, I'm supposed to have a referral or a procedure or a study or something done and I haven't. These are all great questions for my chart. Those are the kinds of things that really my chart was made for, those sorts of communications. And it's fine for follow-ups like, hey, I gave you that medicine to help you poop. Did it work? <laughs> Let me know. Like, See, I And then said, a my now, chart now, that says, I hey, the medicine is working e- or the medicine isn't working, that would be a great thing to know. But I start sending that email to people <laughs> and I'm the bad guy. It's like double standard much, you it's, know? If it, if it is something that you would feel comfortable with your doctor just giving you a quick line or two about – then it's probably a good my chart question. But if you're looking for like a thoughtful diagnosis or treatment plan or something, then my chart probably is not going to facilitate that sort of communication very well. Um, Sydney, after this uh, quick break, we're going to get in the lightning round. We're going to blow through all these questions, fix it okay. for everybody. I can do it. Uh, but, but first, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the 
easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard and we have no advice, but we do See you doing it. Honk if you like to do it. <laughs> Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, yeah. honk if you did it? That's what it I was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we not ever make this? Those we are did the make them. I did think we? they're still in the Max Fun store. <laughs> honk, honk. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Hong Kong. Toot toot. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Okay, Sid, we're going to speed up. Hey, while we were in the billing department, I had a thought. What? There's one other thing you should not use my chart for. What? If it is an emergency. I should clarify. If it's an emergency, if you need an answer immediately, do not use my chart. Got it. Call or go immediately and get help. Go get help. Don't don't use an email. You don't know when your doctor is going to see it necessarily. Uh, this is this one's from Taylor, and Taylor is sort of uh, in in general uh, wondering how they can do better about standing up for themselves at the doctor's office. They went to see their doctor. They felt really unheard. Rushed through the visit, uh, and they're wondering if understanding that doctors are very busy. Um, what can they do to sort of advocate for themselves a little better in their doctor's appointment? Um, That's such a tough position to be in. And I know it's only gotten worse through COVID, um, but it's always been true, especially, you know, in a system like our healthcare system where your appointment is probably only given 15 minutes. Sometimes it's less in some systems. At ours, it's 15 or 30 and 30 only if it's your first brand new appointment. Otherwise, it's 15. Mm -hmm. And that's usually not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so doctors, we are often guilty of trying to like move through quickly because we're always behind and everybody's kind of frustrated and upset. And so that pressure pushes the the um, conversation too quickly. What I would say, one thing you can definitely do is if you have an issue or two that you know you want to get addressed, as soon as your doctor walks in the room, tell them that. Don't be afraid to kind of say, listen, these are the priorities for me today. 
Now, because your doctor's going to maybe have other priorities for the visit. Your doctor may have already looked through your chart and said, you know what, this person really needs to get these labs done and we haven't done this exam in a while that we need to do or whatever. Mm -hmm. They may have their own thoughts about what they want to talk to you about today. Mm -hmm. But if you've got something pressing, don't be afraid to say, I I made this appointment today because I really need to discuss this or these couple things, you know, and there can only be so many. If there's 30 things, you probably can't do that in one visit. Um, But you set the priorities. We can put the health maintenance. I will schedule another visit to talk about my colonoscopy, but today I really need to talk to you about these things because voicing those concerns helps your doctor zero in on how can we use this time most effectively. Um, And if your doctor isn't answering those questions, it's okay to say, I really appreciate, you know, thank you, whatever, that sounds fine, but I'm still not, I still feel like there's more we need to discuss or we're not quite, you know, just say that. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times I will ask, like, does that sound good? Are there any questions? And a patient might say, no, I I think that sounds good. And then I'll stand up and I'll walk to the door and I'll have my hand on the doorknob and they'll say, but actually, don't don't feel like you have to wait till the but actually. Just say, "Ah, no, no, I still have questions. It's okay. My name is Gail. I was wondering, why does your arm start to ache hours after you get a vaccine? I just got the Moderna COVID-19 booster. The shot didn't hurt, uh, but the next morning, the arm was aching uh, very bad. Um, that That is, again, the shortened version for the lightning round mm-hmm. from Gail. That's the question. Gail also wanted to know why some people bleed after vaccines. Because mm, they gave you a shot in your arm with a needle. That one was e- that was easy. It just depends on what sort of little bed of tiny blood vessels, like capillaries, they hit or not. There oh, might you be mean a couple why some people do and some people don't? Yeah, like I've Got never it. seen okay. blood on the Band-Aid after I've gotten a vaccine, but— You're so tough. No, no. I mean, other other people might. And it maybe next time I will. That just happens. It's just the exact position of where the shot went. Yeah. Um, the reason it hurts— well, one, I mean, the obvious, like, you did just get a needle in your arm. Oop. So sometimes yeah. it just hurts right away for that. Mm-hmm. But the other is that uh, the vaccine is causing this immune response and inflammation is part of it. So it's very normal to have some inflammation at the site of the injection. Um, and that takes a little bit to happen. It's not going to be instantaneous. It, all your body has to start sending out the little chemical signals and responses and getting blood flow to the area to cause the swelling and, and you know, what causes the pain. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a delayed response, but it's it's not a bug. It's a feature. Huh. <laughs> it's part of the process. Is it true that if your arm is tense when you get the shot that it'll hurt more later? Or is that not uh, true? I don't – I think maybe. I don't think we know for sure. Like I, I guess theoretically if you're tensing the muscle and you inject it into the muscle, but I don't really have a great pathophysiology for that. Um, I think your arm's just going to be sore the next day, uh, regardless. I mean, for most people, it is sore the next day, but it's better than getting COVID. We got a really good one from Rage. Uh, hi, Justin Sydney. I have a weird medical question. If a person who menstruates has hemophilia, is the menstruation affected by the hemophilia? Do they just keep bleeding? Um, the menstruation is affected by the hemophilia, for sure. Now, they don't just keep bleeding. It's usually heavier periods, prolonged periods maybe passing larger clots when they're having their period. Um, all of those things could, and, it's, and you know, if that's the first period you've had, that may be the first thing that triggers the uh, investigation of a bleeding disorder, um, uh, hemophilia or otherwise. Uh, but no, you don't just keep bleeding forever. You can get anemic from it. So if you're having heavy, prolonged periods, passing large clots, it is always worth getting checked out because there are people who experience anemia from such heavy periods. Um 
but no, you do stop bleeding. <laughs> Good to know. How likely is it that someone can get dunked on the head and knocked unconscious in real life? It's a given in action movies, like a minor obstacle in getting past the guard. But I feel like if I tried that in real life, it wouldn't work. That's it's a spank you, Sarah. <laughs> uh, I, you know Thanks, what's Sarah. funny? I started thinking about like, huh? Like Why Giles. Exactly? I was thinking about Giles, Giles from Buffy, like getting you know, ha- like constantly getting bonked in the yes. head so much that it became like a running gag. Uh, okay, so one, it's sort of this. It's not the same as getting a concussion. Yeah. Because you don't have to get knocked out to have a concussion. Yeah. You can have a head injury, not pass out, have a concussion. But it's similar to the idea of uh, concussion in that there's mechanical damage that can happen to the brain when you're hit in the head, where the brain actually sort of bounces back and forth inside the skull. Nice. As wild as that sounds, which causes coup and contra-coup there's injuries. A, there's a, they might be giant song else, remember that. Yeah. You know that one? I I have heard that one. Okay. Um, but the but as the brain bounces back and forth. Yes, thank you. <laughs> sing a few bars. I, I, don't make me sing. I wasn't gonna ask. Don't you make to, me sing. I don't really know if we have time don't so much for sing. the singing portion. Anyway, don't make me sing, so, Sid. So that both of those are proposed mechanisms for sure. Why you might pass out immediately? Why you might get knocked out? Because. When that happens and you're damaging brain cells, damaging neurons, you can have like kind of a big jolt of electrical activity in the brain, mm-hmm. which can cause you to pass out. Um, sometimes, depending on exactly the angle and how the, if it was a punch or a kick or a bonk or whatever, you might have some twisting or pulling of vessels or nerves that could cause a decrease in, like I said, electrical signaling or blood flow momentarily. All of these things contribute to that kind of like your body's defense mechanism of, oh, just pass out, pass out, quick. Quick. <laughs> let's, re- you know, let's reconfigure, take a break. Um, it is bad for your brain for this to happen. So all those movie, all those shows or movies where people get bonked on the head repeatedly, that's bad for them. It's a traumatic brain injury. And at times it can cause permanent lasting damage. Not always, obviously, but um, but those are big, bad. I think we think of it as like no big deal. Like I always think about when uh, Wesley knocks out oh Inigo Montoya. Since I can't have you following me either. And, and then he bashes like, him on the head. It looks so brutal. It does look brutal. It looks brutal. Mm-hmm. That sword that he's using, the bottom of it, it's not like a ma- a squishy mallet. It looks terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wesley gets knocked out later by With Count, Count Rugen, mm-hmm. and then that one looks even worse. I think there's one of them where it really happened. I feel like that one is the one where it may have actually. There was one where it, that he actually got knocked out. Wow. Anyway, it's bad for your brain. Um, Don't get that, hit in the head. That, it's better not it. to get in the head. The weird medical question from Nicole is this: I don't really drink water. I think it's disgusting, and nothing will change my mind. <laughs> On average, I drink a cup of water every week to two weeks and about an uh, average a gallon of liquids a week with Gatorade. I've been this way for years, but I never feel thirsty or have any of the negative effects that supposedly come from not drinking enough water. Has my body just adapted to a superior form that doesn't need the recommended two liters a day? Or am I just severely dehydrated? I have no idea what it feels like to be hydrated. Um, well, Nicole, I'm not going to try to talk you into drinking water. Um, you are drinking liquids, so... You're drinking water. So while, you know, we always recommend water as sort of this ideal, it's really because water doesn't have anything in it that we don't want you to have, right? It's, I mean, that's the problem with a lot of other beverages are that they might have some sort of like like sugar or caffeine or whatever that we think 
maybe it's not bad for you, but you only need so much of it. And we don't want you chugging like sugar or caffeine nonstop all day because we have reasons to think that is bad for you. Um, Water doesn't have any of that. So it's ideal in that sense. But if you're drinking liquids that, you know, are maintaining your hydration and you're not feeling thirsty, then you're probably okay. We also have like. But, But they're saying that they drink a gallon of liquids a week. I mean, that doesn't seem like very much. That doesn't seem like very much, Sydney. They're not just talking about water. This person, Nicole, is saying they drink a a gallon of liquids a week. That's six liters. That's that's, that's three liters. Well, I mean, one thing to remember is that not as many of us are are dehydrated as maybe like big water once you (laughs) make. Big water. (laughs) By that, I mean bottled water. I don't mean like your tap water. Which is fine to drink for most of us, by the way. Unless for some reason you have a boiled water advisory. But in most places, it's totally safe. Um, Most of us aren't walking around secretly dehydrated. I think there's that sort of pervasive belief nowadays. You're making me really thirsty. Well, you're you're drinking from the water bottle you carry with you all the time. Um, If you are urinating... Don't make it sound like you forgot the sheeple uh, at the end of that sentence. No, because for the most part, I mean, you can drink too much water. Yes, we know that. But most of us aren't going to. And so if you're just staying really well hydrated and peeing a little more than you need to, that's not a big deal. Um, But what I would say is, Nicole, if you are urinating regularly and your urine looks like good healthy urine should look, which is like pale yellow to clearish, right? Not completely clear, but pale yellow is like that's good hydrated urine. That's a good indicator that you're making (laughs) that your body's well hydrated and your urine isn't like super dark and concentrated, then you're probably not dehydrated. Nicole's drinking a a gallon of liquids a week. Like she's peeing gravy a hundred percent. She needs to up the liquids. Nicole, hi, it's Dr. McElroy here. Um, Dr. Justin McElroy. Uh, I think you should just try to bump it up. Like try to rip it up the liquids. I I don't, I think that if, if Nicole is getting um, checkups with their primary care provider, and uh, they are doing A-OK. Well, I'm not going to tell Nicole to do anything differently. A while back, a coworker of mine came in wearing not a regular cloth mask, but an electronic one. What? Mm-hmm. I did, this is a thing? I had to find these. Okay. Basically, <laughs> I've not seen these in real. I've not seen these in the wild. I've only seen these on the internet. <laughs> a little placard on it said that it was an electronic mask at work by ionizing the particles around it. Is this a... a is this real or is it another strange thing people do to get out of wearing masks? The love from North Carolina, Danny. There's no way. The, okay, so no way. first of all, I would encourage you, um, if I'm you have a second, a to right look up now. a picture of these. Because, Danny, if people are choosing to do this to get out of wearing masks, I don't know what is happening anymore. They, I, don't, I've, I haven't put one on my face, but they look so much more uncomfortable than just your regular old cloth mask. It's wild to me, but I mean, who knows? The world is wild. Um, So from what I could find, these are not recommended um, because they tend to have a vent in them. And pretty early in the pandemic, they warned against any, like you you got recommendations from the FDA and the CDC, any any masks that have vents in them are not ideal um, because they're not necessarily going to be able to regulate through that vent the viral particles going in and out of it in a lot of these masks. They're not working to do that. An event is not necessary, by the way. You don't need it so that you can get enough oxygen in. You're getting oxygen in just fine. So the vent is unnecessary and is a weak point in the mask. Mm. 
um, where viral particles could be exchanged. So because when I looked up these electronic masks, every single one I saw had a vent in it somewhere. Mm, okay. I don't know if there are electronic ones that don't, but they all looked vented to me. So what I would say is, one, they're probably more expensive, <laughs> I would bet. <laughs> Two, they have the vent, so they're not recommended. Three, I don't know what that – I mean – there is, you know, N95 respirators work through an electric charge, like an electrostatic attraction charge, in addition to, like, the mechanical filtering. So that's sort of related, but you really should just stick to, you know, the masks that are recommended by the CDC and the FDA and, you know, certified. I, I don't know why you would – these electronic ones wouldn't work any better. It would probably be more expensive, and I think they look more uncomfortable. Why do allergies develop later in life? I always thought you were born with them, but when I was 15, I developed a dust allergy. Or maybe you had just been cleaning really well to that point. It's possible <laughs> to say. Ever since I've been finding more things I'm allergic to, like sage, for example. How does that happen? Why does an immune system suddenly decide these things were a threat? Thanks, Ben. This is, uh, this is definitely true. You can have allergies that you have uh, when you're young that you grow out of, and then you can have things that you weren't allergic to and you became allergic to later in life. Um, some of this might just be exposure. You know, the way that it works to become allergic to something is that you're exposed to it the first time and you don't have an allergic response, right? Because you've got to, your body's got to decide it's allergic to it. And then it builds up all of these antibodies and things that are going to respond to it the next time you get exposed and then bam, allergies. So part so of it is, is the- a big deal the first time people give kids peanuts? We should really be worrying about the second time, I feel like. Wow. And this, that's a whole other topic because we now think we should be introducing um, possible allergy triggers a lot earlier in life than we used to. Weird. Okay. Yeah. that uh, All the science on allergies is always evolving because our understanding of allergies has been incomplete for a long time. Why do people develop them? Why do you get that one and I don't? All those things. Exposure is the big thing. Okay. Repeated exposure, we think, is why later in life you might develop an allergy to something that you didn't have before. Mm, interesting. As a family doctor, what do you think of patients who bring their partner to appointments? I have lots of anxiety around medical professionals. It helps me have my partner there for support, but I worry it comes across as weird, juvenile, et cetera. Uh, that's from Maeve. Uh, I, okay. So I am a family doctor in West Virginia. Correct. Most of my patients bring family members with them to appointments. It was unusual to just have one person in the room. Um, so for me – it is absolutely not a problem. I it typically, especially if an older family member, if like the matriarch of the family comes in, you have at least six other family members who are there to tell you what's been going on with mom or grandma or whoever she is to them. Anyway, um, I love it here, but I I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing a partner or a family member or even if it's your close friend. You get to decide. COVID restrictions aside, you know, because that changes things. But you can decide to have somebody in the exam room with you. That's not really up to me. That's your private health information. I would just say this. One, if it's somebody who you don't want to know your private health information, um, they might not be the best person to bring in the room with you because then I'm going to be asking them to step into the hallway or, right. or you are or whatever. But if it's somebody that you're comfortable with and can be a system of support and maybe help you remember things afterwards, because sometimes things are complicated, especially if it's if you're anxious about it. You yeah. might not remember everything from it. So somebody who can help you keep track of things, remember it, there is nothing wrong with that. As your doctor, I'm going to focus on you. I'm not going to look to your partner necessarily for answers to questions because I want to hear it in your words. Mm -hmm. But there is nothing wrong with having a support system there in the room. I think that the more that you can do that, it's honestly probably better for your care. 
And the, you know what? That's good advice for the, the last person who's asking about having their doctor slow down, having someone there to sort of boost their confidence and make mm-hmm. sure they get all the answers they want. No, I never th- I never think it's immature or juvenile. I think it just means, great, my patient has a support system. I bring, <laughs> I bring Sydney with me every time that I possibly can whenever I have an appointment. Mm-hmm. Well, and for some people, like, I wish my dad would never go to the doctor alone because he never knows what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I wish my mom was in the room to be like, oh, Tommy. <laughs> and when Sydney got her prenatal appointments, I went to most of those too. So, Do you want of, an award for that? Or? I guess that's just a kind of husband. Yeah. Oh, oh, is it? Okay. Yes. Yeah. You want a medal for that? Because doing the cool very dude. least you could do. I was always very interested too. I would look at the screen and everything. What a great dad. Mm. All the doctors said so. Yeah. Uh-huh. I have an any belly button. Ew. What's wrong? Gross. We, you have an any. I <laughs> I have an any. <laughs> I just. Sorry. <laughs> Why doesn't anybody? I'm just feeling, you have an any. I'm just, fe- I'm just feeling really confident because of what a great dad I was. I cleaned this belly button out. It's <laughs> of all the belly buttons to clean out, I think that's definitely uh-huh. number one to focus on your own personal belly button. Occasionally, as gently as possible. I do this so gently because I have a horrible fear. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. I have a horrible fear that if I poke it too hard, I'll break the skin. My organs will come spewing out. Obviously. Yes, the fear is solidified when I clean my belly button out out once and saw blood. Is it possible your guts can come out of your belly button? Um, okay, I love, that's from Dumb Dumb Tummy in Detroit. Yes, this is this is a problem. It feels like <laughs> you know what it feels like a stitch. It feels like one of your like like they sewed you up one time, and this is like a weak point. This is a vulnerable port of entry that too much pressure it doesn't rip right through no 100 percent. it's not obviously (laughs) your organs are not going to spill out of your belly button um folks do you ever look at whether it's it's really weird that we have them they are weird um whether it's an any or an outie your guts are not going (laughs) to spill out of your belly button um even if you're cleaning it you're not going to poke through (laughs) especially now with a q-tip um into, I mean, I don't know. If you're cleaning your belly button with a scalpel, there's some other issues we need to discuss. But if you're using like a washcloth or a Q-tip or whatever, you're not. That's okay. Um, now, I mean, like any area of the body that is like harder to get to, if you have like a belly button that gets dirty that you let stuff accumulate in, like you might have a little bleeding if, I mean, it could get infected or it could just be like, Kind of like inside the ear, if you get too much wax built up in the ear canal, when you clean it out, you might have a little bleeding. And it's it's just because, like, the lining of the ear canal has been a little damaged from the pressure of all that wax. If you've got some crud in your belly button and you leave it there long enough, it might just irritate the skin. But it is not your organs filling out. Your organs are not going to come out of your belly button. Do not worry about that. Please. Okay. There's so much to worry about. Take this off your list. Okay. Um. That is going to do it for us for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, reminder that we got a Subbones pin and some other stuff. You go to McElroyMerch.com. Uh, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. If you got those weird medical questions, I don't know if we mentioned the Sawbones at MaximumFun.org is the email address you can you can send those to. And if you have actual pressing medical questions – Please go to your own doctor. I care about you very deeply. Mm-hmm. Please go, um, go see them. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to join us again next week for Sawbones. Until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, 
Don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.